We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Man, so Johnny's been keeping me updated with how many people were going to actually be here um, on a Friday morning, and he kept running up the numbers and running up the numbers. And, and I said, Johnny, I said, did you tell people that because I worked at NASA, now I'm finally, we're going to share about the truth about aliens? Is that what you said? Is that why everyone was going to be here? I was trying to figure out, like, why in the world would so many people be here? Um, and then I, I started to put it all together. You know, this is Good Friday. You guys have a tremendous community here. And can I just tell you real quick, this community here, this brotherhood here, inspires a lot of men in a lot of places. So I don't go to church at Church on the Move. I found out that a whole lot more people that I know do that I didn't know before. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, your ministry here, the brotherhood here, is making an impact across Oklahoma and, and I'm sure uh, throughout the country and throughout the world. But let me just tell you about right down the road at Harvest Baptist Church, right where, where I go to church, um, I came to a couple brotherhood breakfasts back whenever I was in the congressional office with Jim, and I saw the community that you guys had here, and I saw, man, just how powerful it was to be around hundreds of guys together sharing food and talking about going to the mountains and trying to go do amazing things and fun things together as guys, and that inspired a men's ministry at that church where we have tried to kind of follow in your footsteps and spent time in the mountains with guys around campfires um, breaking people down and letting God just take over people's hearts. And a lot of that was inspired by this group right here. So I just want you to know that just showing up at a breakfast can be very inspirational to people that want to see God move in their churches and in their communities. And so I just want to thank you for that, number one. Um, number two, Johnny's right. Like the, the meeting at Ricardo's was one of those things where, uh, you know, you ask somebody to a really nice Mexican restaurant. I don't know if you can go, if you go to Ricardo's, you can have lunch there for, you used to, for about like six bucks. Um, that tells you a lot about where Jim and I were on the campaign. Um, you know, we, we had very, very, very little money. And it was like, hey, Johnny, would you please take a meeting with us, please? Um, and so he did. And it has been a, a friendship ever since I've been so grateful for. During that time at NASA, there were, there were few people um, that just would reach out to you and stay in touch with you and encourage you across that three-year run. And Johnny Hampton was one of those, and I, I am forever grateful. So, uh, But today I'm going to tell you a little bit about the backstory of how, we, how I got to NASA, because I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great story, not because I'm involved, but because God is doing ama did amazing things that there is literally no explanation for whatsoever other, other, other than him. And then I'll tell you a little bit about the NASA experience and some things that we took away from there. And, and my hope today, my hope today is that you leave here today encouraged about who you are in Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And if you're not, if, if, if that's not your story, if that's not where you are, man, come find me right after this. We'll talk about it. I'd love to talk with you about it. But that's what I want you to leave here with today. So I, uh, I, I grew up in Vertigris, Oklahoma. Many of you guys know where that is, just right down the road. Um, man, I thought I was going to be a baseball player my entire life. Like that's all I wanted to do was play baseball. How many of you guys wanted to be play sports when you were young? Okay, good. How many of it that actually worked out? Okay, good. Um, I feel a lot better about myself. Um, but like, that's, that's where I started, man. I wanted to become a baseball player. And that was all that mattered to me. And I got the opportunity to go um, Vertigris. We, did, we only went up to ninth grade, and then we had to kind of figure out where we wanted to go to high school. And I ended up at Catoosa to play baseball with a young man down here, Jonathan Tolbert and Travis Ring and some others that are here. And so we, we had a great time at Catoosa, went through there, played ball, had fun, did a lot of stupid stuff as you do in high school. 
Um, but man, after high school, I went and played ball in college. And I was trying to figure out this whole time, like this baseball thing, I, I was hoping it would just keep carrying me. But, but you know, I, I'm, I'm also a realist and I could see that it wasn't gonna go as far as I probably wanted it to go. So then you're at, being asked that question, like, okay, well, what are you gonna do with your life? Um, well, for me, I had no idea, right? I had zero idea. Um, so I got through four years of college without a degree. So that, that was awesome. You're, and you're going already, like, how'd this guy end up at NASA? Trust me, this is a God story, okay? <laughs> um, not a Gabe story. So I, I get through four years of college without a degree, and, and my fiance at the time gets accepted into optometry school in, at NSU. And so we're like, well, we'll get married. We'll move back to Vertigris, and man, we'll be, we'll be off and running. And we did that. We got married. We moved back to Vertigris. We bought a house. And my wife went to about a month's worth of optometry school and decided that was not for her, right? And so now here I am. I'm selling cars, right? I'm selling cars. Any car salesmen in the room? Um, okay, nice. So, so I, I, I was one of those guys where I had no idea what I was going to do. And I, I can tell you, if you can make a living as a car salesman, you are a really, you, you're a special person, right? I found out in about, about seven, eight months after about the hundredth time, somebody said, hey, you just get away from me. You go stand over there. I'll tell you if I need you. I was like, okay, maybe car sales isn't for me. Um, but I had a buddy call me and he, his dad was looking for somebody to come sell houses. I thought, well, I can go sell houses. I can, I can sell cars. Why not sell houses? So I went to go sell houses and, and I, I did that for a couple of years. And then I met, it's amazing how God works. In that job, I met a guy, Dr. Steve Green. Some of you guys know who I'm talking about. He was a professor at ORU, dean of business there, recently passed away. Phenomenal guy. And I just knew that that, that guy had something I wanted to be around, right? So I, I, I left selling houses, went to work at a restaurant um, just because I wanted to be around him. And he basically gave me a, an MBA in about two and a half years of hard labor inside of restaurants um, to where he, he kind of taught me sales and marketing. And it was in that experience where marketing kind of became my thing. And so I moved into advertising from there because I figured, you know, I've done cars and houses and food. Why not advertising? We'll try that. So then I did advertising. And I get this phone call one day um, from the Tulsa Air and Space Museum. I get a message. And the message is on my desk. And it says, hey, you need to go out to the museum, talk to Jim Bryden. And it just kind of trailed off because nobody could spell his name. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll go talk to Jim. Um, we'll figure this out. And so I go out there. And, and Jim Bridenstine was the executive director out there at the time. And I show up to sell him some billboards. He was working on trying to get a space shuttle for the city of Tulsa. Like that was, that was something that, it, it was crazy. I say it out loud. You guys are like, that's crazy. It was crazy. Um, and he was like, but we're going to try and go land a shuttle for the city of Tulsa. I thought, great. Well, let's, if, as long as you want to buy advertising, I'm in. Um, and so, so we, go, he, we, we go on this tour of the Tulsa Air and Space Museum. He's showing me everything there. He, he thinks it's super cool. He's a Navy pilot. Airplanes really matter to him. My dad works at American Airlines. My dad's here. He's retired now. But airplanes were, you know, aircraft, aerospace was important in my family. But man, I didn't have a love for it like Jim did. It was very evident walking around the museum how much this guy loved airplanes and how much he loved being at the Tulsa Air and Space Museum. There was just something special about him and I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. But I spent two hours with him at the museum on a sales call, which any of you who are in sales, you're like, two hours, that's crazy. And it was. But I got a full tour of the museum. And at the end of it, um, I'm sitting there looking at this guy going, man, um, th th there's just, there's just some, something different here. There's something different about this guy. Um, and so we sat down, and, and I didn't do this with every client, but Jim and I had had a conversation. It was like, dude, let's, let's do this. Let's pray about whether these billboards are right for, for you or not. I don't want to sell you something you don't need. Clearly, you're a nonprofit, and, and every dollar you have matters. So let's pray about this, and, and we'll figure it out. So we did. We prayed about billboards, right? Um, 
And about a week later, I get a call from Jim. And so I'm excited because I think he's buying, right? That's why he's calling me. And he said, hey, man, um, I've been thinking, and uh, I want you to come meet uh, some people on my board. Um, uh, Don Thornton, do you know Don Thornton? I said, no, I don't know Don Thornton. I said, but he buys a lot of advertising. He's like, yeah, yeah, why don't you go meet Don Thornton with me? So he takes me over there. What I didn't know is that Jim had set up the conversation with, hey, this is a guy I want to be my marketing director at the Tall Saren Space Museum. I thought he was hooking me up, right? I thought we were going in to talk to some guy who was going to buy some stuff. Jim was just kind of letting everybody on the board know that this is a guy I want to get. So we, could do, we do this for about two weeks. He introduces me to different people. And then he asked me, he's like, hey, um, I'd, I'd love you to come to work at the museum. And I said, Jim, I, I think the world of you. It's awesome. Um, but you can't afford me. Um, and, and I just, I can't tell my wife right now that I'm going to take a, a pay cut and come to work at the museum. He's like, I know. I know all of that. I get it. The museum can't afford me, but I'm here. And I, and I said, I said, okay. Um, well, thanks for the offer. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Jim's very persistent. He called again and he called again. And I finally said, yeah, let's, let's go do that. So at that time, I, I, I leave my job. I go to the Tulsa Air and Space Museum. We're no kidding trying to land a space shuttle for the city of Tulsa. We're doing air shows. We're doing all kinds of stuff. We're putting up billboards with space shuttles all over them. And when NASA released the requirements for what you needed to have to get a space shuttle, the city of Tulsa and our museum was number one on the list. We met them all. And so it was no longer crazy. It was very real that this, that this could happen. And then NASA changed all the requirements because they knew that Tulsa was probably not the place they wanted a space shuttle. So they changed all the requirements, re-put re it all out there, and then the space shuttles go to different places. Well, and this was about 2010 um, that, that we're walking through this, and Jim feels a call. He's like, man, I, I think I need to run for Congress in 2010. We looked at it, didn't do it, um, had a lot, of, a lot of conversations we moved forward into 2012, and, and at that time, Jim and I had left the museum. He was flying counter-drug missions down in Central and South America. I was back in advertising, and he calls me, and he's like, hey, man, I, I'm going to do this, and uh, I, I want you to run the campaign. I'm like, well, that's great, because I know nothing about running a campaign at all. Um, and again, we have no money, right? So we can't pay anybody to come help us. And uh, he's like, listen, I, he's, it's just a marketing campaign. Like, that's all it is. It's just a marketing campaign. We just have to be really good marketers, really good communicators. So that's what we did. We started communicating about why Jim Bridenstine would be a great person to represent the first district of Oklahoma. And fortunately, a lot of people probably in this room helped um, answer that question in, in, yes, Jim would be the right person to, to represent the, the first district of Oklahoma. And so we won an election that nobody gave us any shot at winning. And I was fielding all the phone calls on election night from all of these national news outlets and I'll never forget, one lady called me and she was like, so how much money did you guys spend? I said, well, I, I think we raised grand total of about $400,000 over the last year and a half. And she said, well, how much of it did you spend on TV? I said, a fraction. <laughs> like, like, we just didn't have any money to spend on TV. And she, she was just silent. She couldn't understand how we could ever win an election like we did with having very little money, being outspent two, three to one. Um, and, and it was just one of those moments where the silence on the other end of the phone was just awesome for me to hear because it was clear, there was no other explanation. Nobody could make any sense of it other than God had a plan and we were in the middle of that plan. And then you fast forward, you go through Congress and Congress is painful, right? It's, it, is, it was painful for me. I was serving as the district director and campaign manager, uh, but Jim Bridenstine is, is actually taking the blows in DC day in and day out. And so it's a painful five and a half years that we spend in the congressional office. Don't let anybody fool you. If serving in Congress is easy for you, then you're doing it wrong, right? So when we were getting, taking a beating on it, it's because we were doing it right. 
We were trying to represent people here, not necessarily make everybody happy in D.C., and that puts you in a tough spot. But we go through that process, doing things the right way, the way that we feel that we're supposed to, and you roll around to a 2016 election that nobody saw coming, right? Nobody saw Donald Trump becoming the president in 2016, especially not early. You guys remember the gold escalators? You remember that? You remember that whole, that whole picture? I remember us sitting in the congressional office going, I don't know about that guy. Um, you fast forward, that guy becomes the president of the United States, appoints Mike, has Mike Pence as the vice president and appoints Mike Pence to the National Space Council as, as the chairman of the National Space Council. And so it's in that moment that now they're looking for a NASA administrator. Well, Jim had carved out a niche um, in space because it's, space is a, it's a big issue. It's, it's a heady issue. It's a very technical issue. Jim's a very smart guy, very technical guy, kind of owned space. I'll never forget, he came back to give a talk um, at one of our town halls, and he said, I'm going to talk about space at this town hall. I said, okay, sounds good. Um, nobody will care, but that's fine. Um, and so he goes and he gives this talk about space. And at the end of it, he comes up, he's like, hey, man, how do you think that went? And I said, I thought it was terrible. Like, I, I, I didn't understand half of what you were saying. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody checked out about two minutes in. Um, but then what I, I got, by the time I got back to my office, I had like 10 emails. It was like, it was so great to listen to Jim talk about space. And I thought, wow, some political consultant I am, right? Like, <laughs> hey, you should really avoid this space thing over here. Um, but we, we fast forward and uh, Jim gets a call and, and the president wants to nominate him um, to become the NASA administrator. And that was actually the beginning of probably the most painful time um, that we went through is this confirmation process. And you have people that are just trying to keep Jim Bridenstine from ever becoming the NASA administrator, just beating on a guy that you love, right? Like, like you see him and you see, that, you see what's happening and you're like, man, God, you're gonna have to do something amazing. There's Republicans and Democrats that don't want us in that spot. And God did. He just opened up door after door, relationship after relationship. And you fast forward from 2017 to April of 2018 and he gets confirmed as the NASA administrator. So now the whole time I'm t- telling my wife, like she's, she's like, well, are, you, are we going to NASA? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, we got to get Jim to NASA first before I can, get, I can even be thinking about that. And, and I'll tell you, at, at the Sherman household, that was not an open and shut case like you might think it would be. Um, there was a lot of tears. There were a lot of times where we were talking about it, trying to figure out what does God want us to do in this moment. And I had been Jim's guy for a long, long time. So the expectation was I was just going to follow no matter what. But I had to take a step back and say what was right for Amanda, what was right for the girls, what did God want me to do? Um, what, how could we sell our house? How could we do all of these things? And man, we knew this process was gonna be really slow until it became really fast. And that's exactly what happened. It was slow for a year. Then he was confirmed. And I got a phone call from the White House and it's like, hey, um, if you're gonna do this, we need to be making decisions now. Um, you need to be on the ground in about a month, month and a half. And so now we're trying to figure out like, okay, is this, is this what you want, Lord? Um, well, we'd been trying to sell our house four different times. It sold without even putting on a market on the market that time. Um, sold in about two weeks. Um, at that point, Amanda looked at me and she's like, uh, okay, I get it. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. I'll never forget, we drove home one day, my two girls and my wife and I, we pull into the garage and, and my girls are in the back and they're crying. It makes me want to cry. Um, they're crying and they're like, dad, we're supposed to do this. Like, we got to do this. And before, the entire time, it's been, man, we're, we're scared, we're worried, man, we just don't know what to do. And then here they are crying, telling me that we need to go do this. It's like, okay, um, well, let's go do this. 
So we, we head off on this journey to NASA, right? And so in 2018, we arrive at NASA. Um, my, one of my business partner, one of my dear friends, Matt Ryden's down here, and, and he and I work together in the congressional office. And we're like, dude, what are we going to bring to NASA? Like, I know us, right? What, what are we going to bring to that agency? Um, like, that's, those are the smartest people in the world. How could we ever add value there? And so we're sitting there, and we're, and we're trying to prepare and prepare and prepare. We get on the ground at NASA in 2018, and, and there was so much for us to learn. But what we learned quickly was that we could come in if we operated the way that we were put together to operate, not try to be the smartest people in the room, not try and be uh, the most technical person in the room, but if we just did what God designed us to do in that particular setting and not try to be anybody else, that we could have an impact, that we could make a difference for the agency. And so what happened in 2018 is we had to go on this, basically this tour of all of the different facilities, right? And so we're going out to Kennedy Space Center where, they, where all of the launches are happening and, and we're getting to go up on mobile launch towers and we're able to look across the Space Center and see rockets on launch pads. We go to the SpaceX facilities, we're touring those. We're meeting, yes, we're, we're meeting with Elon Musk and we're meeting with all of those folks and we're, we're going to Johnson Space Center and we're meeting the astronaut corps and we're looking at the Orion crew capsule that's gonna take the next astronauts you know, uh, to, to lunar orbit, to, de to descend down to the lunar surface. And we're just touring all of these amazing facilities, seeing all of these incredible things, and you can't help but just get wrapped up in the mission, right? Like, this is something that I wanna, I wanna devote all of my time, all of my energy, all of my effort to. And man, we're, we're all in at this point in 2018, seeing each and everything. Well, at the same time, my wife and my daughters, they're in Virginia for the first time ever. They're, they're trying to figure out school. What does school look like? They're trying to figure out what, what does a friend group look like? What does community look like here? And, and while I'm 100% on mission, traveling around the country, looking at all of these amazing things, dealing with the White House, dealing with international players, dealing with members of Congress, doing all of this important stuff, my wife and my daughters are sitting at home going, what is this, what, what's in this mission for us? Like, like what, what's happening here? You're, you're gone all the time and here we are trying to figure it all out. And so there were some really difficult times in 2018 where I had to reset as a provider, as a husband, as a man, and say, listen, the, the, the mission that I'm on here, it's not just mine, it's gotta be theirs as well. It has to be theirs as well. They have to be a priority as well. So as, we, as I moved through 2018, and we're starting to see all of this momentum at NASA, I had to take a step back and say, okay, what, what about the momentum at home? Because it was, not, it was not on the same track. And so we had to have some really serious conversations about how do we find some balance here? Um, and then we move into 2019. And in 2019, Vice President Pence does us a favor. He says, hey, we're not going back to the moon in 2028. We're going back to the moon in 2024. We're pulling it forward four years. This is in 2019. And so what he does is he, he basically tells NASA, here's my expectation. And I was sitting in a room at that. So that was a speech at the National Space Council. And I'm sitting in a room and I've got 30 chiefs of staff from around NASA at different levels in the organization, some at the center director, chief of staff level, others down in the mission directorates. And I hear Vice President, President Pence say that, and I'm like, let's go, 2024, let's make it happen, come on. And everybody else around there is like, that's just a political stunt. We're not, we're not gonna get involved in that. And it was, it was for the first time where I, I saw some like real hurt from, from all of the politics that had been brought into NASA at that moment. But, but, so I had to try and figure out, okay, how do we start moving the agency forward when people think this is something that's political, when whenever it's actually something that is trying to set an aspirational vision to move our country and the agency forward. That's what it was about. It was not about the politics. And so we went throughout 2019 
naming the Artemis program, bringing the Artemis program to the, to the front and center of the agency, trying to build support down and throughout the agency to where for the first time since Apollo, we might have a chance at bringing a lunar program from one administration to the next administration to the next administration and actually get people back to the moon. And so we went on this mission in 2019 to sell Artemis throughout the entire agency. Well, and then at the, at the end of 2019, we start to hear things about this whole COVID thing. And it's like, well, that's a, that's a thing overseas. It's not a big deal. Move into 2020. I'll never forget, we're sitting up at NASA headquarters, ninth floor. We have all of NASA senior leadership there. We're doing our, our weekly Monday meeting. And Jim's sitting there. It's one of the few times in our time together where I saw him get really upset. He just slammed his hands on the table and pushed back. And he said, nobody here is paying attention to COVID. And we're not going to be sitting here together in three weeks. And we all looked at him like, you're crazy. Um, it was almost three weeks to the day that we shut down the headquarters, shut down the facilities, sent everybody home. 2020, we're now trying to run NASA from our living rooms. And that, that's, a, that's a daunting task, right? That's a daunting thought. We're trying to run it from our, from our living rooms. And on top of all of that, we're, what we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to return human spaceflight to, to U.S. soil for the first time since 2011, this commercial crew program, and it's supposed to launch in 2020 like in the middle of a pandemic. So we're trying to figure out how do we organize an agency? How do we get things together? How do we make the right decisions to protect the people, the astronauts, everybody else, to where we could actually launch in 2020 and send humans uh, back to the International Space Station from American soil? We had some incredible high-intensity times there. Like it was just, I, I can't even describe to you the amount of pressure whenever you're starting to think about you're putting humans on top of a rocket for the first time um, and, and you're going to stand there and you're going you're gonna to watch it happen. And the whole time, you're just hoping that everything goes right. You go through all of the flight readiness reviews. You go through all of the, the work to get to that point. But then in that, in that moment, in those seconds when that rocket takes off, like you're just sitting there waiting and hoping that everything works out and goes right. Because it could be a great day or a really bad day for the country. And then you put on top of that, you've got the president there, the vice president there, the entire cabinet, everybody watching. Um, and oh, by the way, we had to scrub Earlier in the week, we had to, about 17 minutes into the count, weather canceled us, and Jim had to go tell President Trump, hey, we're not going to go today. Um, you can imagine how that went. Um, but then you, you fast forward a couple days, that, that goes off. We, we launch um, Demo 2, Bob and Doug, to the International Space Station, and we, we kind of set the tone for we can get things done during a pandemic. So I'm giving you the, the highlights here of what was a very, very intense period of my life, right? Um, but a very important period of my life. I was dealing with all kinds of, of important people in all kinds of different places. And, and it was one of those experiences I, I would never trade for anything. And it, it got to a point where on, in November of 2020, we lose an election, right? We lose an election and now we're moving and I, there's an end date. And that end date is January 20th. And I see that end date coming, right? And you, and you know what's coming and you see it and you, and you try and prepare for it and you try and think about what's next. But I can tell you right now, exactly where I was sitting. It was 11.56 on January 20th, and I'm on a phone call with a guy that's running our international, international and interagency affairs, and we're talking about international issues and some of the things with, with some of our, our partners um, the, around the Artemis program. And that conversation, in four minutes at noon, my phone was shut off, my email was shut off, my title was gone, everything was done, no more important phone calls, nobody cared what I thought, everything just stopped full stop. And, and I, I walked out of my office and I walked into the kitchen and I, I remember seeing Adelie, my oldest daughter there, and I'm just standing there and I'm trying to figure out like what just happened. 
and what do I do now? And who, who am I now? And am I enough for whatever is next? And, and I'm having this, this moment where, like, like it, it, was, it was a gut check moment. And Adelie walks in there, and I, I kind of jokingly, I just, she doesn't come hug me. I'm like, Please, somebody hug me. And so I go hug her. And, uh, and I said, man, your, your dad's no longer the, the chief of staff at NASA. Am I still cool? And uh, she's like, dad, you're never cool. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, I love you anyway. Um, but it, it was funny, in that moment, I was asking that jokingly, and at the same time, man, I, I was dealing internally with that very question. I, I, Jim, is, Jim was gonna go do his thing. I, I was gonna have to go figure out my thing. That thing was not gonna be NASA, it was not gonna be politics. And so now I'm, I'm left with the question of, of, of who am I now? And you see, this, this is a problem because what I, have, what I had done at that moment is I had tied everything that I was into the occupation and the position. And as, as guys, this is something that all of us do. And some of us handle this better than, than others, but I'm gonna tell you, from the time you're like five years old, what do people ask you? What are you gonna be when you grow up? What are you gonna be when you grow up? And what is our answer? Our answer is an occupation. Our answer is a thing. Our answer is I'm gonna be a baseball player. I'm gonna be a firefighter. I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. I'm gonna have my own business. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And so this entire time that we're growing up, the question that we are asked and what we are prepared for is what are you gonna be when you grow up? Like that's what it's all about. You get into high school, what do you do? You take tests, you go to career fairs, you do all of these things to prepare so that you can go to college, so that you can go to college and get a, and, and get a degree so that you can get, get, get that degree and then you can go out and you can be something. And so what we do is we wrap all of our identity up, so much of our identity up in that thing, whatever that thing is. What are you gonna be whenever you grow up? And man, whenever you have all of that stripped away and you have to answer that question very differently, man, it, it, can, it can hit you and it can hit you hard. And so there was so much that God taught me. Um, this, this little book here, this little bitty blue one, Johnny sent me this um, whenever I was, I was at NASA. That was my transition journal, right? To figure out how in the world am I gonna do what is next and how am I gonna figure this out? Who am I now? What is my identity? And so as, 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 as we move into this portion here, I'm gonna share with you what God shared with me in that transition and during that time. And I'll tell you what he's still sharing with me. And so the first point here is, as we work through those, you guys have cards on your table, but first point that we're gonna look at here is that you have been identified by your heavenly father. Your identity, you have been established by your heavenly father. That identity is what matters. And I'm, I'm low on time, so I'm gonna give you the Cliff's notes of the verses and you guys can go back and look at them. But you have been identified by your heavenly father from creation, from creation, from your creation. He put his stamp on you. He knit you together. David says in Psalms 139 that he knit me together in my, my mother's womb. He knew me. He knew all of my days. All of my days were written down. He, for, he was forming my innermost parts. He knew me. He put me together. Our identity is first established by God, not anybody else. Like when I had my first daughter, I held her. I looked at her. I loved her. I named her. I thought I'm giving her an identity. But dude, she was identified before I even touched her. Like God had identified her before I even got to hold her. God knew everything about her life 
what was gonna happen, who her dad was gonna be, how, the, the days that she was gonna walk through. Everything was identified and established by God before I even touched her. And yet here I am thinking, I'm the one naming my daughter. I'm the one in complete control of her. Whenever what's actually happening is I'm being entrusted to steward her. That's what I'm being entrusted to do because she already has her identity and it's in her heavenly father. Man, when we wrap our identity up so tight and all of these other things, you know what we're doing? We're almost, we're almost setting God over here and saying all of the things that you did are real nice, but I'm gonna tell you who I am. I'm going to establish who I am who you say that I am, all of the promises that you've made, the, the, the idea of you forming me before I ever showed up here, all of that stuff can sit over here, Lord, I've got this. I'll tell the world, I'll tell everybody else who I am by my choices. Dude, what a scary position that is whenever you start to think about it because how quickly can that be taken from you? I can tell you from 12 o'clock to 12.01, that can be taken from you. Or you can hold on to the identity that God gave you the one that he established, the one that nobody can take from you. That's the identity that we want. That's the identity that matters. Everything else is on the sidelines. And you move into that second point here where you, who you are can only be found in who he is. Who you are can only be found in who he is. We search to find out who we are in all of these other places. But whenever you look, at, you look in Galatians, it's talking, Paul's talking to the Galatians and he's talking about how you, you are sons in Christ Jesus. And because you are sons in Christ Jesus, you're not just sons, but you're also heirs. You're heirs of the Father. You are, you are heirs, you have an inheritance that is yours because of who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's an amazing thing to think about because so many of you guys are dads here. Like when, we, when you have sons or daughters, there is so much that you pass to them genetically, right? Emotionally and all of these other things. And, and like for me, with my dad, like I, I look to my dad, especially when I'm young, I'm looking to my dad for validation. I'm looking to my dad to tell me who I am. I'm looking for my dad, to my dad for encouragement, for him to show me like, hey, here's who you are as a Sherman, right? Here's who you are as, as my son. And I'm looking to him to pour into me and show me and grow me and validate me along the way. And it's, I've, I've never thought about it until, I, until, this, until this whole experience, but that's exactly what God wants you to do with him as sons and a father. What he wants you to do is to look to him for validation. He wants, to look, he wants you to look to him for your characteristics and your qualities. The, the love of Christ should be a love that flows through you to others. The grace of Christ that he has instilled that you have inherited as a son of his should be, th flow through you to others. Your inheritance, all of those characteristics, traits, qualities that we have because we are now sons in Christ are things that are supposed to flow through us, shape us, and then go shape everybody else. And so we can't possibly know who we are completely unless we completely know our heavenly father, unless we are driven and committed to knowing him at a level we have not known before. Like it's in that relationship and in that pursuit that we start to learn the most about who we are because we have his traits and his characteristics and his qualities now as sons of his. Man, when that starts to click, when that starts to click with you, then you're able to take a step back and, and put everything else around you in perspective because it's no longer about you defining who you are and you trying to figure it all out. But now the more that you know him, the more that you know about who he designed you to be, the more that you're able to operate in everything that he wants to be known for. Dang it, and I'm running so short on time. There's so much more I wanna say to you guys, um, but I'm gonna cruise through these last, these last two points. 
Second, so third, the enemy thrives when men experience identity crisis. Men, let me tell you, when we're out there pursuing all our identity and all of these other things, careers, relationships, status, reputations, man, that is where Satan comes in and, and he can really take ground. You think about him, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, where did, where did Satan start? Hey, if you really are, if you really are, if you really are, then do this. What's he, what's he attacking? What's he trying to attack with Jesus? His identity, his standing as the son of God. That's what he's trying to attack. If you really are this, then do that. Man, if Satan can get you off track, if he can get you questioning your identity, if he can get you moving in a, in a direction that is further away from who God created and designed you to be, man, that's where he can win. That's where he can move in and take ground. That's where he thrives. And dude, we are, we are so prone to distractions as men and things that take us away from the identity that your heavenly father gave you. It can even be in the pursuit of really good things like ministry or a job or being a great dad. And, it, and we can get so lost in some of those other things that we completely, we open up doors for Satan to move in. Last thing here, last thing is point number four. We take ground for the kingdom when we own our identity and help others do the same. There's a picture of my daughters. If you could put that picture up on the screen. So, so this, is a, this is a moment for us. Um, things, are, things are really hard. And I'm gonna talk to you about this moment here in just a second. But man, owning our identity is not where it stops, right? We, it, we are called as men. This brotherhood is a perfect example of that that we are called as sons of Christ, not only to own who we are in Christ, but to go out, help others and bring them into that same experience with their heavenly father. That, they have, that, that we have a, a passion and a mission as men to bring others along with us and to help them have what we have. Like when we have an identity in Christ and we get to experience that relationship, it should so change you and fire you up that you can't help but wanna bring other people into that relationship with you. And in that, we build community, we build a brotherhood, and that brotherhood can move forward together and take ground for the kingdom together. What you're doing here, you're thinking you're showing up for a breakfast this morning, you're taking a step for the kingdom of God this morning, that's what you're doing when you're here building community and relationships and being encouraged as brothers. Because when you leave here, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna be different than when you came in, and, it's gonna be, and the world is gonna be better for it. This example right here is my daughters, we're standing, this is before their first day of school at a new place. And I didn't know that my wife was taking a picture of us praying. I actually was like, You're not, you can't do that. You can't keep your eyes open when you pray. Um, you, can't, you can't take pictures there. But what I'm doing in that moment is I, am, I have wrapped my arms around my girls and I am praying to God about who they are. Like in that moment, I am telling him, Father, these are, these are your daughters. You have created them. You have given them strength. They can handle this in your strength, Lord. You're gonna, you're gonna provide the friends. You're gonna provide the opportunities. Father, you are going to do so much through them in this moment. Please protect them. Please watch over them. I know this is new. I'm just pouring out in this prayer. I'm speaking into them who their heavenly father is. And as men, this is such a cool thing that we get to do. Yes, I'd look to my dad to help define me as a young man, right? And as I'm growing up, yes, to all of that. But my dad's number one job was not to define me. His number one job was to help me find my heavenly father and allow him to define me. That was my dad's job. And he's done it, right? He's done it. Men, don't take this responsibility lightly. 
Let this be, let feel the weight of this responsibility. Yes, you are supposed to validate your kids. Yes, you are supposed to speak into them. Yes, you are supposed to encourage them. But if you do all of that and you don't help them find their identity in Christ, you've missed it. We can't miss this. What's so cool is God gives us this picture all the way back in Genesis. He creates Adam, and then what does he do? He comes down, he walks with Adam. He establishes Adam. He points Adam in the right direction. He gives him a job. He is telling Adam, here is exactly who you are, and I am right here with you. And as men, we get to do that with our kids. But if we don't, if we don't see the responsibility that we have to not only do that for them, but to do that from a position as a son of God and point them right back to him and tell them that everything that we're telling you is because that's what your heavenly father has done for you, then man, we have missed it completely. That responsibility alone, if we execute that effectively, we will help more young men find their identity sooner in life that we will help more young men make better decisions in life from the get-go. And Jonathan Tolbert and I can tell you, Travis Ring as well, we were idiots in high school sometimes. Um, Gary, we're not gonna tell stories, okay? I'll let Jonathan tell you the stories later. We were idiots. We were searching. We were trying to figure it out. We were trying to find out who we were. Man, I needed so badly somebody to come alongside me, grab me and just say, hey, here's who you are in Christ. Quit chasing all of this other stuff. So man, let me tell you, I know every person in this room wants to experience the full power of God in their life. I know that you do. That's why you're here. It's why you come to church. It's why you hang out with this group of guys. You cannot experience the full power of Christ in your life if you are holding on to other things to define you and not allowing him to do it. There are things in your life, I promise, that you are gonna have to let down, let go of, or put in a different position if you wanna fully experience the power of God in your life. So man, let me tell you last thing, and I know I'm over time, Lisa, don't get angry at me. Last thing I wanna leave you with, we're, we're moving into Easter weekend, man. It's an incredible time. This is Good Friday. I, I can't, I, the, the idea that I get to speak to you guys on Good Friday is, is kind of overwhelming to me. But man, this Sunday, churches are going to be packed, right? That's just, it's just the way that Easter is. Think about who you can bring into that experience. What you're doing by bringing somebody to church on Easter is not just bringing them to church to where they can hear a good message. You are opening up a door to who God created them to be, for them to experience the creator God of the entire universe. You are experiencing an opportunity for them to get to know him, build a relationship in him, and discover who they were really created to be. That is an awesome opportunity. It is an awesome opportunity. It happens every Sunday. Man, this is a special one with Easter. And I would encourage you guys to think about who you can get um, to church on Sunday. Man, let them experience that. Guys, it has been such an honor uh, talking to you this morning and spending time with you. There's so much that that I'd love to cover. And and Johnny um, already said that he'd have Jim back. So I'm gonna ask Johnny if he'll have me back someday too. Um, But man, I just want you to know, I love you guys. I appreciate this opportunity so much. Go out and be who God called you to be, who he designed you to be. Man, in the world, we'd be changed because of it, okay? Thank you, guys.